They usually sit the furthest away from me in the room as possible. Their posture says everything, which is arms crossed, legs usually tied together or crossed over, so it's very protective. And the entire time, I'm just engaging them. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Enchanted Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service from coast to coast. By now, you've heard over and over about the value of professional counseling for first responders. But I know you're probably still skeptical. Maybe you think it's too touchy-feely, Maybe you're worried that word will get out that you're seeing a shrink. Or it could be that you just don't think a therapist will understand what you do for a living. That's why today we're going to talk about exactly what happens when you walk into a counselor's office. Here to discuss that with me is Courtney Stewart. Courtney is a licensed professional counselor in Wisconsin and Illinois as well as a law enforcement wife and mother. Courtney works in corrections as a therapist and volunteers as a mental health consultant for law enforcement peer support teams. And Courtney Stewart joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks for having me. You've said that counselors don't get firefighters. What do you mean by that? Firefighters and first responders feel like counselors just won't get it because we are almost cut from a different cloth. And I feel that that's not always the case. Why do they feel that way versus what turns out to be the truth? You know, the touchy-feely kind of perception that people have about counseling doesn't exactly fit what it is that first responders and firefighters are up to on their daily basis. So as far as performing out in the job where it's, it's, go, 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 call to call. And then when you get into a counseling session that it's much more paced and slowed down, that a lot of times they feel, my perception is that people feel that they can't share what it is they do or what they're going through or what it is at home to a counselor because it's too much. So then do you feel that, that firefighters and other first responders maybe have this feeling that this is all going to be touchy-feely stuff, it's not really going to help me, and so I don't really need to mess with it? Correct. Now, I've spoken with some firefighters who've told me in the past that some therapists were so taken back by their experiences that they began to cry, which of course made the firefighters uncomfortable. So how do we make sure that we're seeing the right person for this job? You know, it's interesting that you said that, that that the therapist that they went to see uh, started crying. And that's the stuff that they commonly avoid is that uh, that I am too much, that my stuff is too much. 
and that who is going to handle me? So how do we find those, those therapists and, and being able to identify who can handle my stuff? So to be able to identify someone who has, you know, good word of mouth, if they have it on like say, psychology today, where they uh, advertise what it is or populations that they, they can handle best are experts in finding uh, individuals to promote that on either their psychology today or, you know, straight Google search, or again, word of mouth that somebody else has used for, you know, individual marital uh, or family counseling services. So it really does matter who you see in terms of what they know and what they know how to deal with. Absolutely. It's about cultural competency. You know, we talk about diversity and a lot of us, when we go to school, we have to have a, at least a semester's worth of at least one class of multicultural diversity. But when I was in school, they didn't have first responders. They had, you know, different ethnicities and cultures, but this is totally different. How do we convince members of the fire service that seeking this kind of help is not admitting weakness? Well, a weak person doesn't admit to have a weakness. Strong people admit that they have faults and that there's always something to work towards. That's what strong leaders do. They, they put their best, you know, their best people forward and saying that maybe that's not what I'm an expert in or I don't have training in, but that strong leader then can admit that. And that's what each individual, each first responder and firefighter is, they're a leader. And so they need to have the mindset that they understand what they don't do well and they can accept help in it. Absolutely. Now, it's still problematic for many firefighters to admit to their employers that they need counseling. Saying they want to use the EAP can be seen as a negative. How do we change that with the employers? They don't always have to tell their employers that they need to go to counseling. So by using the EAP, I am, it doesn't mean that their employer has to find out or that their sergeant or, or their captain has to find out about it. A lot of times people use outside the EAP because they're nervous if their, you know, their number is, is reported or that their services are being used. So uh, some private practice uh, counselors out there that are culturally competent will then do fee for service. And so they don't have to worry about that. What exactly, for those people who have not done counseling, what exactly can therapy do for them? I mean, how, how does the process work? Yeah. So if you've never done counseling before, and those are actually my favorite, those are my favorite people to get the green ones. My first question really is, you know, what brought you in? What is it that you're working towards or you don't like? And when you walk into that first session, it's asking them, what is your perception of this? And what, what exactly don't you want? Cause I want to make sure that we get it right the first time. And when I say we, it's the client and myself that we're working towards the same goal. And if I'm not asking those questions that I'm doing something wrong, I want to meet their needs and where they're at. And if I can't, I'll let them know. It's all about honesty for myself and them. So they come in and they may fill out the form to give you an idea of what's concerning them. How, what's your experience in terms of how many of these people are skeptical and going, yeah, all right, yeah, let's see if you can really help me? It usually starts with their spouse coming in and they would be reporting those, you know, the issues and that my, my husband or my wife you know, our first responder, and that kind of perks my interest. Really? Well, I can definitely relate to that. And getting them into that first one, they usually sit when the spouse comes in, 
let's pretend that's the scenario. When the stones comes in, they will sit the furthest away from me in the room as possible. Their posture says everything, which is arms crossed, legs usually tied together across over, so it's very protective. And the entire time, I'm just engaging them. And you, I assume, are spending some energy trying to show them or convince them that you're a safe person to talk to. That you're not firm handshake. That you're not going to say, "Well, you have a problem and you need to fix it." That is one way to make them walk out in that moment. And uh, good luck getting paid. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it is that firm handshake, make eye contact, and it's on a first name basis. My name is Courtney. Your name is, you know, and to look them in the eye. And it's not it's not to intimidate by looking them in the eye, but it's I see you and I respect you. And it's to let them guide where everything is going. So if they don't want to participate, even if they are the identified client or patient and they come in to see me, it's not to sit there and poke and prod and go after all the hard stuff in the beginning. It's just give me a general sense of who you are and what's going on in your life. What doesn't feel good? What are you good at? I really want to know what stresses them out. But more so, I want to know what are you good at? Let's, let's focus on those things. And you need to strengthen something that uh, you already have. Now, are you going to ask me about my childhood and tell me about how I must hate my mother? No. And sometimes that does come up. One of the things that I I have absolutely found crucial uh, to most people's rooted problems is attachment-based, which is, you know, how do I, you know, prior to the age of 12, you know, what is my identity and how do I view myself? I mean, that comes into play. As far as, you know, anxiety or low self-concept and if they struggle with that I am not good at anything or I am not deserving of love or I'm not deserving of that promotion or I'm going to screw things up on the job, it definitely can go back to some of those attachment-based things they got from childhood and caregivers. What's the most common problem that a firefighter might come to you and describe? Money, marriage. So it's not PTSD, it's not stress about rescuing people or not being able to save them, it's about their life outside of work? Yeah. Why is that? What do you hear? The stuff, the PTSD, right, or the, the stress response, or my job is stressful, that usually comes later when they're more comfortable. So they'll bring up the stuff that's more surface level or, again, presenting today or last week, because those are the things that are more irritating, it seems like, than the job itself. Those are the first symptoms that they would experience, but they may not be the root problem. Correct. Those are those are more, you know, tertiary or secondary to what stressors they are having on the job, and that may not come up right away. Again, because I'm a strong person, I've got this, I'm supposed to do well. Right, I'm not supposed to need help, I'm supposed to give help. So when you hear that, when they sit down with you, do you immediately start thinking, all right, the problem is not necessarily with his wife. The problem is something causing that. Yes. And it's it's two to tango, especially when we're talking about, you know, relationship. And that's just something, again, that I will, I'll ask questions that's more perspective based. Well, could it be this? Or tell me more about, you know, what it is about your wife's complaints and, if the wife is complaining about the same thing, how does that then, you know, does it translate to the job? Or when they come home after spending several days at the house and then they're just burnt out 
you know, why aren't you helping me with the kids? You're supposed to be here to perform. And then we can go into those things where then maybe they're not budgeting as well, or maybe something at work is taking up so much of that energy, the emotional energy they should have. I use the word should very closely. Um, <laughs> that they should have at home. And once you get past that first level, which I assume is also a little bit of defensiveness, do these guys generally open up to you, or is it still a process of getting them to explain how they really feel? Again, I think it's a lot about personality, therapist comfort in themselves. Like you have to know yourself to be a therapist. So if you've got some things that haven't been worked out, get them worked out, especially before you want to get to this population, because they have a radar that, you know, picks up on insecurities and other things. That's what they do, right? Stranger danger. And so to be able to get them to talk, it's, I know myself, I know what I'm not good at. And again, I am absolutely genuine with people. I tell them if there's something on my mind, I will share it appropriately. And if there's something that I think they should know, I will give it to them. So their ability to trust me fairly quickly, it doesn't take too long. Now, I know that a substantial portion of your job is listening, both because you need to understand, but also because listening is key to what's going on. How do you actually help a firefighter who's got these problems? Do you give them advice? Do you turn around and ask them the question, what do you think? How, you know, it's that sort of the cliche. How do you, how do you work with them? If I ever said, tell me how, you know, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I'll walk right out. So it is, you're right. It's listening, but it's also observing. So I watch their body language, everything that, everything about them and everything about me, right? We're watching each other back and forth and sensing each other. So it depends. If they want my advice, I'm probably going to put it back on them and say, what about this perspective? Because Every single client, I don't care if it's an inmate, if it's a child, if it's a parent, if it's a first responder or a firefighter, they are the experts. I'm just following their lead and providing information. Well, what about this? And seeing what fits them best because, you know, what may work for me may not work for them. So are you saying ultimately that, and I don't mean to make this into a bumper sticker, but I will, People have the answers within them and you just help them find them. Is that is that a fair assessment? That's a beautiful bumper sticker and I want one. Well, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people would and again I'm talking about people who haven't had experience with therapy who are considering it, would think that maybe you were going to give them the solution to their problems after you've heard enough. You know, just do X, Y, and Z and it'll fix everything. Well, I'm not a man on a mountain that's been up there for 17 years in Thailand, you know, <laughs> contemplating, you know, the world's problems. And I can give you everything. That's not it. It's it's what fits you best. And I might ask some questions outside the box that actually they hadn't thought of yet, you know? It sounds like it's really not quite as scary as most people assume. And I think part of the assumption, again, is that they assume that they save people and that they should not be in a position to have to ask for help. But it sounds like you're saying that once they do, you can help show them themselves what they're probably... You hold up a mirror, don't you? Basically, yes. And I think that's what they need to understand is that we're not talking about somebody who has all the answers for them. We're talking about helping them find their own answers. Yes. And again, they get to choose from what fits them best. You know, some of the best advice I've ever given is that 
we all benefit from suffering and, and especially if they've had one of those, you know, the, the kids that are in the house and they find the bodies and the way they're found or the fact that they, maybe they lost somebody on the job, a buddy of theirs because of suicide or a uh, job related line of duty death. And it's that, that crushing feeling that they have, that they want somebody just to take it away. And it's like, but you're the only one that is able to do that. And by asking the question is how do you benefit from this can make a lot of people angry. But when they're ready to have that talk, that existential talk about, okay, so what did I get from all this? It, that is where a lot of times healing comes from and a lot, and with this population, military, you know, police, EMTs, dispatchers, especially the dispatchers who don't have, you know, a lot of the answered questions, like those who are out there in the trenches, you know, being able to talk about those things and that there was something, something meaningful out of it. All right, we'll leave it there. Courtney Stewart, thanks for talking with me today. Thank you very much, Scott. And we put some more information about why you might want to seek counseling on our website at code3podcast.com slash therapy. Check it out. Today we talked about what a therapist can do for you as a firefighter and what happens when you visit one. Have you seen a professional counselor? If so, what was your experience? If not, what's holding you back? Let me know anonymously if you'd like. Email me, scott at code3podcast.com. I'll read some comments on a future show, and like I said, I'll leave your name out if you like. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.